Whoa, wait, what? That's better. Hey there, quick public service announcement. First, I do not own the rights to the Loki music in this podcast, but I really hope you enjoy it. Second, this and all of the Loki series episodes were expertly mixed and edited by David Gilbert, a professional voiceover artist and audio engineer extraordinaire. You can find him at davidgilbertvoiceover.com. Thanks for the great work, David. Okay, let's do this. there and welcome to season two of the If You Ask Betty podcast, the podcast about all kinds of development topics for all kinds of learning professionals. I am Betty Danowitz and this is the Loki series, episode three, Systems and Rules. Just in case you live under a rock and you don't know, Loki is a television series based on the Marvel character Loki, God of Mischief, and season one is available on Disney+. Season two is slated to be released in the spring of 2022. Also, this is episode three, so go back and listen to one and two, and also go ahead and listen to four and five if you haven't already. Today, I have with me two big Loki fans, Bianca Woods and Jonathan Hill. Welcome, or should I say welcome back to the podcast. Hi. Hi. I can't believe you keep letting us come back. I know, Bianca, like you're like becoming a regular and that's fine. I'm okay with it. Um. Thanks for being here, though. Really appreciate it. So tell us uh, real quick what you do and why you wanted to be part of this Loki series. After you, Bianca. Um, I'm Bianca Woods. I uh, now work with uh, Articulate. I'm a uh, customer engagement manager, have been for the last two-ish months, mm-hmm. so very new to role. And um, if you were listening to the podcast, you can't see the massive amount of comics behind my head right now, but uh, yeah. I love, love, love comics. I love, love, love the MCU. I could talk about it forever. Yeah. Great. Jonathan. My name's Jonathan Hill. I'm an e-learning designer from the UK. I also very recently changed roles. I'm now the um, learning design and content manager for a um, international payments company called World Remit. And um, I too have, you know, a deep love for the MCU comics. I've been collecting most of my life. Most of my collection, unfortunately, is still in storage, having moved house. Um, but the, the Loki series in particular, I think, is, is kind of like really ripe ground for um, mm-hmm. yeah, metaphor and analysis. Um, and just, you know, as we're going to get into today, I think there's lots there for a casual viewer, for a, an MCU-dedicated viewer, um, but yeah. also you can learn from it in other ways. I agree. And that's that's why we're doing this. Plus, um, I've found that a lot of folks that are in L&D or even L&D adjacent really like to geek out about characters <laughs> and comics and and all things Marvel and even DC. I mean, I, we could even have a lively discussion about that, although I feel like everyone on this call is probably loyal more to Marvel than DC. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, I think yeah. I think so. But I love Batman. Like I love yeah. Batman. Bianca's yeah, probably more agnostic than most people because she just loves them all, which I think is great. Um, yeah. Oh, so, I don't okay. love Superman. Oh, he's not your. You don't like him. Oh, I extra don't like. Him. Oh, <laughs> but I used to extra not like Captain America, and the MCU totally changed my mind. So who knows? Who knows? There could something could happen. Yeah. 
that could be a podcast in and of itself. Why Bianca extra not likes Superman. Hmm. All right. Noted. Anyways. Six hour podcast. I know, right? <laughs> um, all right. So thank you so much for those quick introductions. Let's start with some surprise trivia. Ooh. So here's here's how this works. I'm going to read a Loki trivia question. And the first person to say their name will get the chance to answer. Okay, so. Um, what if we say the other person's name? Do they have to answer? No, but that is a great question. <laughs> oh, that would be really fun. Uh, okay, so the winner gets bragging rights. All right, so, um, all right, so we're going to practice. We're going to do a practice question. Okay, so again, say your name. Don't shout the answer out. Okay. Um, first question, uh, first practice question is this. What is seven minus four? Jonathan. Bianca. Oh, Jonathan went first. Go ahead. Seven minus four is three, I think. That's correct. That's correct. Oh. I give really Oof. simple questions and people are like, um, I don't know if I know. This is yeah. too early in the morning to it's, do math. Okay. It's Even just, like single digit math. It's a little, yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, that's fair. All right. So I think you guys got it. I think you got the process down. So let's pray. Let's pray. Let's play. Are you ready? No, let's <laughs> go with that first one. <laughs> let's play. All right. I'm leaving that in. Uh, question number one. What new information does Sylvie share with Loki while running from the TVA? And she shares a lot. Yeah, she does share a lot. All right, I'm going to make it Bianca. I'm going to yes. take a stab at that. Okay, go ahead, Bianca. <laughs> that the TVA is staffed by variants? That's correct. The TVA ah. workers are all variants. That's right. Well done. All right, good. All right, question number two. What was Renslayer's job before the TVA? Jonathan. Bianca. Oh, that was close, but Bianca got in first. Go ahead. Hunter. No. Oh, Jonathan. Wasn't she a principal at a, at a school, a teacher? Yeah, she was a vice principal, so yeah. we'll give you that. Yep, she was a vice but principal. Wasn't, Very good. wasn't that one of her variants? Um, no, I think that's the only job we know of that she had before the TVA. So here's the bonus question. You said she's a vice principal. How do you know that? Jonathan. How do you? Jonathan, go ahead. Didn't she have like a pen from the school that Mobius found in her she, office? She did. She had a pen from the school. And there was one other thing. That B-15 found her. Yes. In the timeline. Yes, that's right. Yeah. They crossed paths, didn't they? You yeah. found her. Yeah. Okay. Good. Bianca doesn't like these questions at all. So <laughs> no. Okay. No, I was like, <laughs> what? What was it? I didn't remember. Yeah. All we right, need next to, question. We need some retrieval practice, don't we? That's what we We do. That's probably right. Yeah. <laughs> what device do TVA agents use to move through time and space? Bianca. Go ahead. Tempad. That's correct. Yay. All right. Next question. What do Sylvie and Loki reach once they vanquish the Eliath? Jonathan. Go ahead. Um, the point beyond the end of time in the, the castle where they encounter. Do you remember what it was called? Oh, I don't remember what it was called. Do you remember what it was called, Bianca? No. It's called the, the Citadel at the End of Time. Uh, Citadel yeah. at the End of Time. Yep. Okay, and last question. Don't look so discouraged, both of you. Come on. <laughs> last question. We is can this. do it. We can do this. What was the name of the Alexa-like character that Jonathan. caught Loki? 
Go ahead, Jonathan. Miss Minutes. Yes, that's correct. Miss Minutes. <laughs> I think the winner is Jonathan. Um, yeah. <laughs> well played, oh, Jonathan. Well your played. Your face is hysterical right now. You're like, I'm just going to keep smiling. Okay. And the winner is Jonathan. Thank you for playing. I thought that was super fun. Now that we're all <laughs> primed for Loki, okay, I want to talk a little bit about the idea of systems and rules. and. Like to start the conversation, I want to reference sort of the intake process at the TVA, right? So the very beginning, Loki is apprehended by the TVA and he goes through processing and there's like a system and there's rules. Do, do you remember what the process was that he went through? Do you remember what? I, remember. What I totally rewatched it last night. Like <laughs> Did you? Okay, good. section of the episode because I knew this was coming. Good, good. So what was the process, Bianca? What do you remember? Um, other than it was the most tedious thing of all time. How in-depth do you want me to go on this? Just whatever you remember, whatever you recall. So he gets apprehended. The caller goes around him. He sh they take him to the TVA. He has no idea what's going on whatsoever. Mm -hmm. No one bothers to explain anything. They take the Tesseract from him, shove him into, was it an elevator? He gets his clothes removed because why not? Wow. Um, <laughs> because... It's, I mean, it's I was because fan, because fan service. I was yeah. fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he has to sign a stack of paper printed on that old school printer paper with the little holes on the side. But, yep. That's mm -hmm. everything he ever said, including when he asked about what the heck was going on. And then they printed out a new page. They print another page. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, they had to scan him. And I, I can't, what was his temporal or something? Yeah, I can't remember yeah, the exact aura. terminology. Yeah. But it would have obliterated him if you happened to be a robot. And I, I love that whole section of him pondering in my seat. He's like, what, what if know. I'm a robot? Yeah. <laughs> then he has to go take a ticket and stand in line, even though there's only like two people there. But there's a big mass monstrous line. That's yes. when he meets Miss Minutes. And oh boy, do I love retro um, like educational videos. That, yes. that part made me so happy. It made me happy too. It did. Yeah. And then he, he gets to his, eventually gets to his trial and he's still, no one bothers to explain to him what the heck is going on and why he's there. Uh-huh. Yep. Do you remember anything else, um, Jonathan? That was anything an excellent else? summary. But I just it remember. It was really like, very comprehensive. It was very comprehensive. <laughs> this is why I watched it last night. I mean, yeah. I was struck that the Loki you get at the very beginning is the, the variant from Avengers. He's got all of his finery on. He's, yeah. he's, he's basically stripped of anything that makes him kind of unique, I suppose put through this yeah. kind of dehumanizing uh bewildering process um sure. and you know when he's kind of questioning you know how he can push the boundaries on this it's demonstrated to him by apparently executing another person in the same queue that person's not cooperating he gets you know pinged out of existence um yeah and then, when he, and then when he tries to use his powers bring some of his own self to this process he finds his powers don't work so he's uh -huh. been completely kind of cut off from the person he was and put through this process that which he doesn't know where it's going. He doesn't know why it's happening to him. And, um, you know, he can't, it, it's in a very opaque process. He can't see what's behind this, what, what's driving yeah. it. Uh, and we, we share his kind of bewilderment and frustration and fear of this, I think, as the viewer. Yeah. So, so what rule did um, Loki see broken? Do you, do you remember like it was, it was in the, didn't take a ticket, ticket. Yeah. that's right 
The guy told him to take a ticket, and the other guy was like, I'm not taking a ticket. And then what happened? What did he watch? What did he what did he witness? He was, he was pruned. Um he was pruned. Got those, oh, yeah. those bay sticks, haven't they, that they zap people yeah. with and, and, and then all of a sudden he's like frantically thing. he's frantically searching for his ticket. He's like, Where is it? I know I have it here. <laughs> yes. Which I thought was great. So the this whole processing system that he went through, does it remind you of anything or does it resonate with you in some way? That's a very leading question, Betsy, but yes, it does, doesn't uh, yeah. it? Um, <laughs> what think, if one of us said no? <laughs> I mean, that's fine. I have some uh, Yeah. I think anyone that's, that's worked in L&D for any time, length of time, and has dealt with onboarding in particular, be that kind of in-person or online, um, can feel some sort of sympathy with, with that, mm-hmm. that process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Sometimes as L&D practitioners, we have to ask ourselves, you know, are, are we the TVA? Are we the bad guys here? Are we kind of putting people through this this dehumanizing, mystifying, bewildering process? And what's the impact on them? Um, and you know, what what's what's wrong with variants? Really, you know, does everybody yeah. need to be on that sacred timeline? If you want to, you know, extend the metaphor. Um, sure. So the sort of milestones you need to meet when you're onboarding somebody. Um, but yeah, you you know. Just put yourself in their shoes. You know, you could be sitting there like Loki, not knowing what's going on or why it's happening to you, what the relevance of it is. Um, and, you know, as, as adults, you know, we need to treat people better in the workplace, I think, so that they're not feeling as, as, as powerless and, and fearful and bewildered. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, and Loki couldn't use his powers. He couldn't bring anything of himself to that situation. You know, mm-hmm. he, was, he, was kind of, he was kind of locked into this path that he had no, no control over. He was. Admittedly, like um twenty twelve Loki, it's probably pretty good he couldn't use his powers. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, I mean yeah. it's it's that whole thing that ends up pushing him on a different direction to be a better person. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing is incredibly traumatic. It it is. And um I as I was watching it, I'm watching the whole processing scene and I'm giggling. Right. Because it really is. It really is just like new hire orientation. Right. So he's taken into custody. Right. Okay, so we hired somebody. Um, They changed. It's funny you're talking about this to two people who just started new jobs. I know. I think it's I think it's a a beautiful, um, happy coincidence, happy accident. Right. They change his clothes. So, of course, when you hire hire a new job, for the most part, there's some sort of dress code. Like you have like now you have to wear pants, Jonathan, when you, you know, show up on 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 camera or when you go in. Right. Dang it. Like Bianca's like, oh, I'm going to have to like start putting on makeup again or, you know, brushing my hair. I mean, listen, you you guys can pretend like that's not what happened. That's what happens. Like we all know this. We've all been working remote for long enough to know that all of a sudden this is uncomfortable. Right. Okay. So we're we're hired. You got to change. He changes his clothes. So this is dress code. He signs this attestation. Okay. So like compliance training anyone. Yeah. Uh, he has a picture taken of his temporal aura. That was like it. Looks like his work ID. Oh, here's your badge. Okay. Um, he takes a number, waits in line. It's like onboarding. And then while he's winning, while he's waiting, Miss Minutes literally gives him TVA orientation, like e-learning at its best, because he has no choice but to sit there and listen to it. I mean, it does not get much more parallel than that. And the thing is, like. Yes, of course, he was there involuntarily. So his reaction might be different than like a new hire. 
But all of those things, like the custody, the um, changing clothes, signing an attestation, all of those things are were in place at the TVA for the same reason why all of those things are in place for us on new hire on- onboarding, because at some point they didn't do that and it was a problem. Right. So at some yeah. point at the TVA, they didn't take a picture of a temporal order and that became an issue. So now that become a standard part of their practice. So, and I, I mean, I know it's fictional. Like you don't have to write me, like nobody has to write me letters. Like you don't have to call me. I know it's fictional, but still like I'm making the association. Same thing, right. With our new hire onboarding, like there's a reason we do these things. Um, but to, to what you guys both said, like, okay, so then how does that person feel being put through this whole process in rigmarole? I mean, what do you guys think? Well, I think okay. I, disorienting. Yeah. Yeah. Disorienting. Great. That's a great descriptor. And, yeah. and I think there's varying degrees of what that onboarding experience can be like. There are some companies sure. who do it incredibly well and some companies who are the equivalent of the TVA where they're yes. going through the motions, mm-hmm. but the person going through the experience has no idea why things are happening. Yeah. And you know, you know, their thought process is like you said, at some point, something went wrong by not doing it. So they put it into place. They don't bother telling anyone going through the process, though, why is this happening? And you have to not that Loki is like captain compliance or anything, but he probably would have gone along with certain things a little easier. If someone had just said, this is why here's what's happening here. Here's why this matters to you. Like the, the part where he starts really get like going like, okay, I guess I'll do it. Is when he sees the guy pruned and he realizes I could be dead. Right. Which, I mean, it's motivating. It is motivating. <laughs> is it the good kind of motivation? It's like seeing someone you just started your job with get fired for something that seems like nothing. Right. First day on the job, you sit down and they're walking somebody else out. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So, so what? So we kind of already answered this question, but sort of like, what was Loki's experience like? What is it like when your learners basically go through the same thing? I guess I'll add on to that. Like, how how can we make it better just based on what we've learned from Loki? What could we do that is a little bit better? Tell them what's going on. Anything else? Yeah, just transparency about why this process is necessary, why they're here, what what the what place in the process they're in. You know, Loki mm-hmm. didn't know when this was going to end. So I think right. that's this yeah. is what if it's necessary, we just need to know at what point in the process we are. Yeah, there's no, um, yeah, there's no roadmap. No, and, and, and I think really the, the, the experience for Loki didn't really change until Mobius took a direct interest in him and almost kind of took him out of that process. And you've oh, got, totally. like, got like a, a human face to this. Um, it, yes. was, it was pretty faceless. Um, and I think a challenge a lot of the businesses have had over the, the past 18 months in particular is if you're joining a company um, during lockdowns where offices have been shut for COVID um, because it's all moving online, um, that that can sometimes feel very faceless as well, and and, and yeah. bewildering for because you don't you you're just not there. You don't see the architecture. You can't see where you are in the maze. Um, so anything you can do to represent that, you know, a person's progress through this process, mm-hmm. what the process is there for, um, you know, and if there's any unnecessary delays to the process, for instance, or any kind of hiccups, kind of just mm-hmm. making them aware of that rather than keeping them in a holding cell somewhere without telling them what's going on. Um, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it, it feels, it, you start to think about it and it's like, this feels like a bit of a kind of superficial, somewhat silly metaphor, but it's not really. I think if, you know, a lot of people in L&D sat down and watched that process and were asked these questions, some light bulbs might go off as to how they could improve, you know, the way they're handling new yeah. hire and onboarding. And, 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 the, 
and it's only little it's only little steps that you need to do you know there's only little things little tweaks to that process that could have yeah. made it made it uh, change the character of that process without necessarily losing the steps um, because we know that sometimes for compliance and regulatory and legal reasons we can't take some of those steps out right yep those are those are stuck in concrete concrete you know set in stone you have to do those things so then the scene that you talked about with the, the temper aura um when i watched it i watched it a second time about a week or so ago and was just I, sitting there giggling because he's like why do i know if i'm not a robot it was adorable it was adorable okay but like <laughs> the guy that was standing there waiting for him to go through he had absolutely no cares like he was straight faced he didn't care if he was a robot or not. Like, I don't know, dude, you're just supposed to do this process. And I wonder how many learning professionals are like that little, like that guy standing there just waiting to hand him the picture. Well, he's like, been doing that it, for eternity, hasn't he? And, eternity. And, yes. Yeah. Like that's his whole job. Yep. If you've, been doing, if you've been in the same role for 10, 10 years, just to pick, pick a number. That can feel like eternity, can't it? You know, if yeah. you've been doing that same process every day. So, so the people who are administering the process, if it's opaque mm-hmm. and and static and rigid, become kind of like hard and um, unhappy and kind yeah. of dull to it as well. Um, and you yep. can sometimes be a bit too close to these things if you if you've mm-hmm. just been stuck in that role for ages. So he was giving he was giving no empathy, no explanation as to, as to why that why that was necessary. And it may be that yeah. he doesn't know. You know, he's 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 as he much of a cognitive machine. Given the TVA. Yeah, you know, given yeah. what we know. Like Chances are they just said, you go do this. And he probably lives in that room. Yeah, that's probably. And same thing with the guy that gave him, like, the thing to sign of all the words yeah. he's ever said. Like, even when he said something else, he just ripped it off and handed it to him again. Like, this is What this I want to know is, is his cat a variant? I wondered that, too. I did. I did. I was like, oh, the cat. I wonder how many of those are. Maybe that's why there's so many cats. Like, It's not nine lives, it's nine variants, isn't it? Yeah. Nine variants, yeah. So nine times nine times. Oh, that's a lot. That's too much math. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so we all have systems that we work with and within. And most learning professionals, like the two that we, the two people that we just described at the TVA, have just sort of accepted the confines of the systems and rules. Most of us just keep doing what we've always done, keeping the status quo, protecting the sacred timeline, right? Or even like afraid that there'll be ramifications of sort of deviating from that timeline and becoming a variant. So now I want you to be honest, in your job now, of course you both just started a brand new job, but that's fine. Do you do you fight for the status quo or do you tend to be more of a variant? No judgment on your answer. It's just, we just, <laughs> I, I just want to set the playing this. field. Yeah. Because sometimes this, like this, the challenge that you can see in Loki in particular is sometimes you have people who are so tied into the status quo that they can't mm-hmm. do any critical thinking. But you also have people who are so tied to the idea of creating chaos that they can't ever see when the status quo is actually really okay. Not that the mm-hmm. TVA is okay. But like mm-hmm. Sylvie in particular is so emotionally damaged that she can't stop and notice when things around her are okay. So you don't yeah. really want to be either extreme. And I think Mobius is kind of 
the I- ideal, if if you could find an ideal character to be in the series of someone who can kind of go with what's happening, but as soon as they get evidence that maybe the status quo isn't okay, it doesn't, it does not break him that the TVA is not good. He goes, okay. Right. And then he shifts gears. Yeah. Totally. Totally. He, he is by far the kind of most adults, adult in the room in that, in that yeah. series, you know, he. Which is hilarious because it's Owen Wilson. I know. Yeah. Thinking the same most adults. Oh. I mean, it's, it's you're totally right. Brilliant casting, um, yeah, and I think he he had he despite the constraints he works in, he shows the ability to improvise, to adapt, mm-hmm. almost kind of circumvent some of these processes. He goes straight to Renslayer, doesn't he? For a lot of things, he kind of like cuts out cuts out the, the bureaucracy. I'm just go straight yeah. to the bottom. And yeah. I think you need to be brave at times and, and do that and, and go right. Do you know what this 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 isn't working. This is feeling a bit hinky. There's something off, off here. And go go straight to the boss. But by the same token, as well as, as Bianca's already said, you know, if, if it's not broke, don't fix it. I'm very much in that position myself at the moment. I've come right. in, I've been, I've, I've been recruited to do a very particular job and to add value to certain parts of the process at World Remit. But I'm certainly not going to come in and create chaos. You know, if it, if, if, yeah. it, if it works and it's and it's serving its purpose, it can it can for now at least stay in place. Um, but around that is, as we've already said, you know, making sure that people know that that it's there and why it's there and how it works. I think is all as probably as important as the fact that it does work. He's making sure that people know it does work and, and why mm-hmm. it's there. So if it's not broke, don't fix it. Um, but Mobius is a very interesting character from that point of view because he does strike me as, as somebody, like I say, who's got a degree of autonomy and a group, approaches things with a degree of emotional intelligence that, that a lot of L&D practitioners could, could learn from um, because it can be a challenging environment. You know, we, we're, we're serving many masters um, sometimes we, we, you know, we don't know who those masters are, like the timekeepers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like you, you might, you might feel like you're a small cog in the machine. Um, but just that ability to kind of just pull back and and just take in the bigger picture and and see where you could, you know, add some value or change process, um, or you know, or even screw it up and throw it in the bin in extreme circumstances, prune it, you know, then if then you need not? to, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think the grace with which he handles what could be really traumatic news about his his world not being what he thought it was. I mean, that's ideally the grace that we need to appre- approach the work that we do. Because mm-hmm. if we find out, let's say we, we threw all our work at a program and it does not work. And, and yeah. we get evidence that says, hey, you know how you thought this was going to help learners do X, Y, Z? Well, it actually doesn't. Yeah, it hurts when you throw all your energy at something and it doesn't work out. But if you have evidence that says you got to stop doing this, then you need to stop doing it. Yes. Yeah. And take yourself out of the equation and just go, no. It's kind of a balance. was right. It's not. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a balance like between, you know, status quo and varying. Like we have to know when to make suggestions that would push the envelope. We also have to know when the things that we're doing, we're doing for a reason. Um, And, and then we have to, we have to be willing to say, okay, we've been doing this for a long time for a reason. That reason is gone or changed or morphed or evolved. I mean, look at, you know, two years ago, it's been almost two years, has it been two years? Almost two years, year and a half ago, when all of a sudden we didn't go to the office anymore. And initially like those of us who have are more of the variant mindset were like oh good now we get to do all the things we've been trying to do but you wouldn't let us do 
we're still trying to do those things because <laughs> because it's a slow move, right? Like there are some things that now we're able to do that we'd been begging for before. And now we're like, they're like, oh yeah, sure, we can do that. But there's still there's still more to go. The point is, as we start to go back to office, you know, we slide, we'll slide right back into that status quo. And we have the opportunity now to say, but remember how it was working really well. Maybe we should keep, maybe we should keep that change or keep that variation. Um, and so, anyways, I just think that it's about it's that balance, right? Because sometimes we have to keep the status quo because it's working and it's and it's right. And sometimes we have to vary it, uh, be a variant and move off of that timeline. You raise a good yeah, point. Ever... Sorry, sorry. <laughs> you, you raise an excellent point there because COVID is a kind of nexus event, isn't it? There's, there's a timeline where COVID mm. didn't happen. I went to DevLearn in the October and, you know, we're all still working in the office and we're all still thinking about L&D. Except for me. Except, yeah, except well, for me. You've been um, working from home for ever five plus years yeah. yeah but i think we for those of us for whom it has changed yeah. you know the workplace in particular the toothpaste isn't going back in the tube you know this it, we're, right. whether we're on the darkest timeline or not remains remains to be seen but i i'm i'm quite happy in the, in this timeline now in terms of how how it's affected my mm-hmm. working environment working at home and work-life balance um but being able to kind of just imagine different circumstances and, and flip between those two timelines and, and compare before and after and not and not lose the lessons we've learned from the past 18 months, I think is really, really important for everybody as well. I think so too. What were we going to say, Bianca? Oh, um, I was going to talk about, have you ever worked for some place where they, they bring in some new like CEO or something like that, some higher up executive? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they come in and they're like, I'm going to change everything. And you're like, no, some of this stuff works. And yes. you just stop. Right. It's that we we have to be so careful not to throw out the baby with the bathwater mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. things. Because like as someday when we can go back to whatever the new normal is with being in person at things. There's going to be some stuff from before that, yeah, it's going to be nice to go back to. And there's going to be some stuff that we were doing during the pandemic that we need to keep doing. Yes. And so we can't just go back to what was normal because that doesn't work anymore. And it this really showed how broken some of that stuff was. But mm-hmm. we can't just go, we're going to not do anything we were doing before because some of that stuff still works. Yeah. It's, it's that critical thinking instead of just going new is always better or old is always better. That- I do get the sense that some CEOs do want to prune this timeline, though. I do, you know, yeah. do read about. Oh, some, they do. Absolutely, some they, just want to just, they just want to go right back to the way it was. Yeah. Yep. So part yep. of part of this is is being like Mobius and just just you know speaking truth to power and saying, "Look, yep. this, this works." Yes. And, yep. But so many of those people didn't want to accept what this timeline was when it was happening. I mean, you saw so many organizations kind of breaking their brains trying to go how do we take what we were doing in person and make it work exactly as it worked right in person mm-hmm. online and it just it doesn't you have to go okay this is this is a completely new timeline this is a new place everything the rules here are different they're different we need to adjust but the, you know like you know I, I would hear people talk about well we're trying to do our uh, like what was in-person training online and they're using the exact same script and the exact same activities and the like no yeah it doesn't 
There's a reason why it feels clunky and awkward and uncomfortable because it's clunky and awkward and uncomfortable yeah. because it was built for a totally different environment. Well, and if you want, if we're going to go to keep time things back to Loki, think about that scene where right after he's taken the ticket and there's that ridiculously long line and the jerk guy who gets pruned in a few seconds quite correctly is like, what, what is going on with this line? I, I can't remember. It's him or Loki who says there's only two people here. Mm-hmm. How hard would it have been for them to just rerun the lines when there's not a lot of people there? Yeah. But no, they were married to this idea of this is our setup. Yep, Why would we ever process. adjust? This yep. is the process. And like parts of that process didn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe they used to have so many people come through that they needed those lines in the past, but clearly not not then. No. Not at all. So if we're going to redesign that process, we're keeping the bit where Loki gets all his clothes removed, but we're going to scrap everything else and then leave it. Yeah, is that right? Yes. Can we scrap correct. the jumpsuit? Like, it's, I know it was very on purpose, made to look ugly, but that that oatmealy it was jumpsuit is yeah. Oh, maybe maybe Carhartt or could Tom something for us. I don't know. <laughs> um. So okay. So I think that's great. Thank you for being honest the whole status quo and a variant part. So how do you, if you are a variant or at the moment doing variant type behaviors, how do you show yourself as a variant? And I ask this because of the follow-up question, which is, do you think that trying to be innovative is a variant? Like if you're, it's like being a variant, if you're trying to be innovative? Man, that depends on where you work. Sure. Yeah, there's a lot of places that that very specifically will hire people because they're like, we know you're going to come in with new ideas and we're not mm-hmm. scared of new ideas. Mm-hmm. But then there's other places that if you bring up a single new idea, they like have a conniption yep. and get mad at you. They do. They do. So you've got two types of employer, really. You've got your sacred timeline employers and you've got your multiverse employers who kind of yeah. want to add, add a bit <laughs> of variety and, 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 and things like that. Um and yeah, I think I think if you ask any L and D practitioner that question, you know, modesty prevailing, they're going to want to be that person. They want to be Mobius. Yeah. They want to be the person who's you know, questioning where necessary and, and changing processes and adding value, variety, innovation. Um, you know, in strict terms, anything that goes outside the norm for an organisation is innovative. Um, right. But the That's actual right. thing yeah. itself might not be that innovative. You know, you might have just dropped a, an interactive PDF into someone's lap and it could blow their mind. You know, mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't need to be um, big, big changes to cause um, big consequences and big, you know, another nexus event, you know, that's going to change mm-hmm. how that organization thinks and performs and operates. Right. Um, you know, I've just been very interested by the way, um, in, in the UK, there's an organisation called the um, CIPD, Chartered Institutes of Personnel Development, of which I'm a member. And uh, there have been lots of articles they've published over the past 18 months about the, the effect of, of COVID and the changes in the workplace. And and um, this, it bound up in this bigger conversation about a lot of the changes to, to, to home working, for instance. A lot of um, uh, people who are wheelchair users, for instance, who have trouble going to offices, you know, and, and people with other disabilities. This is stuff they've been crying out for for years, but for whatever reason, companies have said, no, you can't have this. But we've just spent 18 months in a, almost a big experiment demonstrating that that's, that's actually the case. You know, so um, when you talk about variants, it's what I, I see it as a kind of, you know, there's, there's 
variants of humanity, you know, diversity, you know, there's all sorts of people that the organizations have either consciously or unconsciously locked out of their processes, locked out mm-hmm. of their employment, locked out of their um, culture. Um, and and just, just freeing your thinking to, to kind of include that, you know, the neurodiverse people with accessibility issues, you know, it, it, it really, for me, just highlighted all of the, how all of these processes that were in place, um, the extent to which they perhaps have excluded some people and some employees mm-hmm. and some customers, um, and being able to say to an organization, hang on, have you thought about this part of your audience, this part of your customer base, this part of your, your, your employee base uh, and their needs? Um, yeah, that, is that innovative? Uh, yeah. It, it, as Bianca said, it, it depends on the organization. It depends on, right. yeah, because you could be you could be just suggesting some very very small change. It's accepted in other organizations that could totally change the character of the organization that you're working at. Yeah, yep, agreed. And I'm I'm so glad you brought that up because I've noticed that as well. Like it, some of these things that we've done that I'm sure will be permanent changes because of COVID. Um, are things that we should have done a long time ago, not because yeah. of COVID, but because they were the right thing to do. And like you said, it's not like it's not like somebody nobody ever said that. It's just nobody ever said it at a time when there was enough leverage to actually get it done. You know and what I'm saying? So, like, uh, what Bianca says, you know, the, yeah. the proof in the pudding, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It really is. Well, and we've seen that happen a lot with online learning over the last 18 months, a whole bunch of companies that were late to the game on that, whether it was mm-hmm. virtual, um, like live classes or asynchronous training, they're like, well, well, our, our audience doesn't like this. Well, then we had a pandemic and the pandemic said, we don't care if you like, they like it. Right. It's, it's happening. It's happening. And at some organizations, it's basically proven, no, these, these things can yeah. And you said, much like Jonathan's example of working from home being, helping people have more access to good roles, mm-hmm. this has proven, you know, someone can work from home and actually be productive. I don't, I still don't understand why that was a question still, yeah, but there we were. But I mean, I still don't understand why some organizations were like, we always have to do classroom training. It can't ever mm-hmm. be anything else. Yeah. I work, you know, my day job is I work for the Ken Blanchard company. And um, when COVID hit, they had mostly face-to-face, very few, just a few virtual offerings. And over the last 18 months, they've gone through a full digital revolution. Yeah. And things have become digitized. There's there's online learning. There's virtual. We're in AR. We're doing VR. You know, all of those things are kind of happening. And it's not that they necessarily didn't want to do it. But because their clients were asking for face-to-face leadership mm-hmm. training, that's what they had continued to provide. So now the clients have to have it a different way. And so it's it's sort of forced sort of some of those changes that are incredibly positive and, you know, are re- basically revolutionizing the company and, um, and bring it up to speed and making it relevant again. And it's been really fun and exciting. But that, I mean, you we didn't even rehearse that. Like, I'm not even like <laughs> you, you, you brought that up. I'm like, yeah, that's what we're doing. And a lot of companies have been able to sort of be forced into that, uh, variant status, right. They have to update, but some companies have just unfortunately withered because they're, they were not equipped. Um, they didn't have strong enough ideals. They didn't have strong enough drive. 
to meet that challenge. And that's, I mean, that's unfortunate. It's been less likely. Most people have rallied, but, um, but yeah, you, all it takes is a, is a nexus event, just like you said, to, to really prove like, you know, what, what are we going to do? Are we going to stick with the status quo and just be destroyed? Or are we going to be like Loki and be a variant? So how do we get to be an alligator variant? Because that feels like the most important question we could answer. It does. I mean, could you imagine how much you wouldn't have to worry about if you were alligator Loki? Like just the regular things in life, like wouldn't really matter because you're an alligator. Dental would be a concern for me. What? what? (laughs) The dental plan would be a concern. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a good point. A lot of teeth. (laughs) That's a good point. Um, Okay. So, so when it comes to adult learners, there are, I think we can all agree, lots of different barrier systems, rules that can keep them from learning. What do you think are some of the most common barriers that we deal with today in L&D when it comes to adult learners? That's a great question, we, isn't it? We have another um, hour. <laughs> um, we have as long as you need. I, I, I think that we are, as an industry, I'd like to think in terms of individual learning experiences, we're quite awake to the fact that um, you know, you don't always need to have aims and objectives at the beginning of the course. You don't necessarily need the person to have seen every single slide in the course. And the idea that your um, content can adapt in some way to the, the prior knowledge that your learner brings to that particular course. I think there's wide acceptance that you should you should do that. And that's a good thing. You know, what's the point of making someone sit through something that they already know? Uh, and can you present the content in a way that kind of acknowledge and rewards that by not having them sit through all of the content that, that they already know? And, and you know, there are a number of products out there that do that, and, you know, what my favourite one is. Um, but, you know, put, putting that power in designers' hands, in L&D um, departments' hands, to, to, to trust their learners to be adults and put mechanisms in place that, that kind of reward them for, for their prior knowledge and and allow them to navigate the course in a in a in a much more kind of individual way, go off the sacred timeline, as it were. Um, I think, yeah, within the, within the confines of a course, I think anyone I know could do that in a course and make the content at that point. What I think we're less good at, and it kind of hooks back into onboarding, is when you put all of the courses in a line and say that when you join the company in the first six weeks, you need to have gone through all of these courses. And those individual courses might have some adaptation and might be less onerous based on prior knowledge. But nonetheless, they're still going through this long, long laundry list of courses. So I think taking that thinking to the kind of LMS level and the way your courses are organized in, in terms of the hierarchy and rewarding prior knowledge at the hierarchical level. So you're missing complete courses out if necessary um, to, to make that process more personalized, customized, allow for variation, allow for variance. Not everybody who comes into your company is necessarily going to need all of all of that there's going to be waypoints these, these events that you can't miss and certain and we know we know this the compliance manager is going to say well you can't miss that for x y and z reason but if you think intelligently about how that's presented it just makes that process of going through all of these kind of like pac-man you've got to eat all the dots in the maze before you get to the middle um you know right. that, just think about the structure of the maze and i think that's where perhaps we are, are, are less adept because it requires you to take that what can be very complicated, let's face it, you know, to make a branching scenario with any given with a given amount of content can be quite complex. Applying that logic then to the, how your entire course catalogue is structured. Most LMSs do it. 
but most LMS administrators don't even think about doing it because there's just too right. many moving parts. Yeah. Ooh. I have that, that mind-blowing emojis in my head. <laughs> like, whoa. I don't know, Bianca, do you have anything to add? Because that was really good. I don't know. That was like TED Talk for like, <laughs> thank you for coming. I can, to I can match that, but staying with our Loki theme, um, something that I, I think even the best of instructional designers and people in L&D have to face is when your organization says, oh, we need to do this as a checkbox exercise. Like that whole onboarding, you know, mm-hmm. scene or scenes, um, it, if so much of that feels like we're going through the motions and there's quite a lot of training that we're asked to do that is going through the motions. And it isn't about, like, you know, when you think about compliance, let's say you're doing money laundering training. A lot of the times, the company's goal isn't, I want you to be able to spot money laundering. It's, I want to check the bo- the legal box that says I trained you on money laundering mm-hmm. uh, so that if you mess up, we can say, well, we trained this person. Right. And, and this idea of, you know, we're just going to shove a bunch of information in front of you as a legal checkbox instead of, we want to actually work with you to change behavior and help you understand why this needs to be different. It's it's a huge frustration point. And I, I think it's probably top of mind for me because my very first instructional design job was in compliance training. And I could mm-hmm. see how often we were just told, go through the motions instead of actually help people not do the thing or right like you think so i work for bank you think it would be more important to catch money laundering rather than be able to cover your butt in case you get sued or get you know that the government says you didn't pay enough attention to this not at a bank i mean i i spent 16 years (laughs) at a bank that's not how it works Uh this is a cya all day long so I, i think there's a lot of us fighting for that meaningful change instead of legal checkbox and i don't know that, that we're ever going to not have that mm-hmm. that struggle mm-hmm. but I, oh it gets but yeah better. it's in i hope it gets better too but i also think it's one of our driving forces is that mm-hmm. we as lnd professionals want to create that meaningful change yeah um and it's that's what kind of gives us that friction between us and the, you know, the lines of business and and their administration and their, their ideas and, and their objectives is because we're like, they're like, well, we just need to, to meet this objective. And we're like, we want to change people's lives. And they're like, okay, but can you do that while you're meeting this objective? Well, and, yes. yes, we can. I mean, we can, we can. Yes. You just have to give me just a little bit more rope and let me, yeah. and I can do it. You know, I just need a little bit more space. So there, there is always sort of that good tension there between um it so it's one of those driving factors do we want it to get better yes we want them to say yes more but i don't know that we ever we ever necessarily want everybody to want to be changing people's lives because then nobody's going to get anything done yeah i don't even know if it it always has to be changing people's lives but i think thinking more broadly about why do we change the organization yeah how do yeah you know, and, and is legal compliance is, is one way you can run the organization or avoiding the stuff that gets you sued or fined. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's it's probably the better, higher picture, but it's hard when you're in the moment and you're just trying to make sure that, you know, you're, you're meeting subsection 23.65 of the 
of the legal code, it, it's really easy to get caught in the weeds of that and not go. Yeah. You know, as an organization, I don't, I don't think that's just an L&D problem. I think it's, it's actually probably less an L&D problem and more an organizational problem. I would do, you, do you think the L&D, you think L&D practitioners are kind of viewed as variants by those lines of business? We're, we're dangerous. <laughs> We're a dangerous variance in the in the company. That, that Especially when we say things say things like augmented reality or um, uh, virtual reality. They think we're just crazy. That's just crazy talk. Chatbots, stop it. We're not a customer service center. <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, yeah, they we're variants for sure. And it's not that every SME is a horrible person, but I, I'm sure most of us have had experiences where we were advocating for the learner in the organization and the SME was just advocating for, can you just do the thing I asked you to do? Right, right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, yeah. It's hard. It's not, it's not a good time. No. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, you're working with someone who is never going to be your partner on this. And sometimes it's you're working with someone who might be your partner, but they haven't gotten the evidence that what you're suggesting is going to do something that matters to them. Yeah. Totally. Yep. Totally. And like unlike Loki and Mobius, it was there were times in the show where they, you know, were un- un- uneasy with something or could have taken action, but they decided, you know, I'm going to pick my battles here and you know, I'm going to I'm going to keep my powder dry and you know, not kind of tip into chaos just yet, you know. There's yeah. there's, there's there's a point where it's going to be more tactically advantageous for me to do this mm-hmm. um, and as L&D practitioners I, I know that we often sometimes have to bite that tongue in, in that yep. way yep sometimes so, we're just wrecking someone's salad <laughs> that's true oh gosh you that's the best scene but like so Loki's actually making a really really good point and he's trying to explain the information in a useful way but he's so unaware that his explanation is legitimately ruining Wednesday yeah Yep. And we have yep. to be careful not to do that. It's true. It's very true. Don't ruin someone's salad. Um, <laughs> how can how can we, because we talked a little bit about barriers, and I heard from you guys, I heard, you know, um, uh, Jonathan talked about basically thinking differently about the entire ecosystem, right? Like about the whole learning ecosystem and the, and, and the course pro, uh, pro, progress and allowing maybe the learner to decide how to progress through it rather than giving them a linear path. And then Bianca, you talked about, how do I sum it up? Uh, stuff. Stuff. The SME <laughs> is not the enemy and like we have to have that balance and all of that. Okay. So <clears throat> how can we design our learning solutions to kind of overcome and scale those type of barriers? Like what, what can we do? How can we think differently? What are some thoughts around getting over some of those barriers? Oh, yikes. That's a, that's a deep question, isn't it? Um, Tell us how to be a very, well, you are on the If You Ask Betty podcast. I mean, we only <laughs> do deep questions here. So I think the key for me, I think, is about, about collaboration with, with any and all stakeholders who've got, who've got any skin in the game for, for whatever it is that you're looking at. Um, I think that that's, that's the start of demonstrating. Um, again, coming back to the top of the top of the call, demonstrating why you're doing something and being transparent about, you know, what what's caused you to approach the topic or approach the, the subject in that way, what the benefits are, uh, and just being open to challenge at that point as well. But br- br- bringing people along on that journey, yeah. um, you know, it's 
and 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 some of it is about taking those employees who've been stood at the the airport style security scanner taking people's temporal auras or, for 10 years just going oh hey did you know what goes on in the next room here and how what you do there kind of influences what happens there and, mm-hmm. and, and what happens after that and where you are in this bigger picture so i think collaboration and bigger picture and just 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 establishing you know how, how you can help each other toward toward that goal um and and, and just finding that often actually you're working toward the same goal. You've just got slightly different perspectives on it, slightly mm-hmm. different variations on, on, on how you're going to get there. I think that's, I mean, that is key to this. And another thing is, how do you build credibility with the people that you're working with? Because sometimes mm-hmm. people just are like, I don't know this dude. Right. And it's not that they think what you're doing is, or saying is bad it's they don't know enough about you to know oh yeah jonathan really knows his stuff about how people learn if he's suggesting this it means it mm-hmm. it means it and it's mm-hmm. got some backing so thinking about how we're building our credibility with people not in a performative way but in a you know a genuine connection so that when we say things they really believe that we know our stuff and that mm-hmm. we're caring about the same things that we're caring about and, and you know that takes time it takes time it and effort. It does really require both people in the relationship being emotionally invested in making something good and useful. Right. And you're not you're not always going to get a SME who wants to be Mobius and wants to yep. be awesome. Um, Unfortunately, and I yeah. and I think also sometimes um, secret experiments. You know, maybe you your your business partners or your client they're like, oh no, I really think straightforward e-learning that tells them everything mm-hmm. you know is got to be it okay so maybe you can't do something that allows people to test out of every single section but maybe you do small little proof of concepts in the thing they're comfortable with and slowly mm-hmm. inch them towards change i mean thinking back at that that miss minute video at the beginning of mm-hmm. the uh that episode so you can be a variant by like being wildly different from the timeline or you can be a variant by checking in for work just slightly late. Yes. And it still can make a different a different yeah. timeline. Sometimes you're going to have those times where you can really shake things up right away. And sometimes it's just you're going to sh- slightly shift things ever so much. And it changes the timeline just enough that long term you have that big change you're looking for. Yeah. That's a great point. Ooh. We had some really good conversation, you guys. I have so enjoyed it. Okay, so I have just two quick questions as we're wrapping up. So here's here's the first one. If you could change or eliminate one system or rule in L&D, what would it be and why? Choose my words very carefully now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of a provocative question. It is, it is a provocative question, isn't it? If you could eliminate one system or rule in L&D, what would it be and why? Um, I think it's not it's a bit, bit before onboarding but when you fill out an application form or when you send your CV off and ask you to send an application form and it's got exactly the same information in. oh, oh that drives me crazy um, yeah that, that's that's an example I think of that kind of double um, double process um, yeah. now there's a reason for that is that a lot of companies use um, 
part of their uh, pre-employment checks is based on information you put in that form. Right. And you need to put that information in the form for it to be pulled out by another program to, to check you're not an axe murderer before they give you a job. Now, it, it, now you could not, be an axe murderer. Still, very you just better get covering your tracks. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Oh, wow. um, so, you know... Um, so if Axe Murder Variant John um, becomes frustrated that he's had to send his CV and fill a form out, I may go and Axe Murder again and be more careless about it. You know, what yeah. are the consequences? But what, what, what I'm driving at here is that um, I understand from being inside these processes why that's the case. But that's another example of causing frustration and friction to the, to the user because they don't understand why it is this information that's in this format isn't good enough for your purposes. Why don't you put it into this format? Yeah. Um, so my, my broad kind of um, slightly political answer is any, anywhere there's kind of duplication in process or forcing people to use a particular system over another without explaining why, why that's the case. Mm-hmm. And I think that causes a lot of friction in businesses, but particularly around HR and, and, and L&D. I would agree. How about you, Bianca? Oh, this is a hard question. I'm going to throw this one out there. I hope this is an okay answer. Um, the, the system or rule I would like to, to Chuck, and I don't think there's an easy way to do this, but I'd love to see it gone, is L&D at most organizations only touches learning and development. Mm-hmm. And I think so many of the challenges we're asked to solve, learning may be a component, and there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's a component to solving it. And we get stuck sometimes by the confines of the term learning and development. So we can't, we can't solve the entire thing we can only work to solve a, little, like a small subsection of it i would love to just blow up those walls and be like and we're also touching performance and we're touching hiring and how the um mm-hmm. you know Change the forms management. are filled out mm-hmm. and how people are promoted like i feel like people in lnd who are really super passionate about the industry have so many insights about how to to solve all the little tendrils of the problems that we're facing. And yeah. we are only allowed to solve the, what can you solve by teaching someone a thing? Right. And I would love to blow up those walls. Yeah, me too. But then that's a lot of work. It is. Yeah. And then how do you describe what our job is? I don't know. It's just like we're, I do stuff. We're fixers. We're the fixers. Business improvement. Can we just be business, called yeah, the fixers? Business, yeah, I like it. Yeah, business improvement. I like it. So where can people find you if they want to after the show, Jonathan? Um, well, I'm not really an axe murderer, so please just get in touch. Thank I'm you Twitter. for only saying that for a little I'm only reason. saying that, yeah. Um, I, I'm at Dev by PowerPoint on Twitter, um, where I'm, I'm pretty active at the moment. Um, I also have my own website, which is engagebraintrain.com. Very nice. Bianca? And I am eGeeking on Twitter. And you can also, because of my new job, find me on the Articulate eLearning Heroes community a lot lately. So I'm seeing you there too. Very nice. Very nice. Well, thanks, Bianca Woods and Jonathan Hill for sharing your thoughts today. Thank you. Always lovely to nerd out about stuff with you, Betty. Yeah. Thanks for hanging around and listening in on this awesome conversation. If you like this podcast and you want to show support, please go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash If You Ask Betty to learn how you can support this and future If You Ask Betty projects. Tell your friends and watch for another episode of the If You Ask Betty podcast soon. Peace out.